Section 46 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 4. Section 46. Essay on Marie-Henri Bélle, Stendhal. 1783 to 1842 by frederick tabor cooper marie henri Bélle, french novelist and man of letters who is better known under his bizarre pseudonym of stendhal is a somewhat unusual figure among french writers he was curiously misappreciated by his own generation whose literary movements he in turn confessedly ignored he is recognized to-day as an important link in the development of modern fiction and is even discussed concurrently with balzac in the same way that we speak of dickens and thackeray emerson and lowell there is nothing dramatic in stendhal's life which viewed impartially is a simple and somewhat pathetic record of failure and disillusion he was six years older than balzac having been born january twenty third seventeen eighty three in the small town of grenoble in dauphine which with its narrow prejudices and petty formalism seemed to him in after years the souvenir of an abominable indigestion he early developed an abnormal sensibility which would have met with ready response had his mother lived but which a keen dread of ridicule taught him to hide from an unsympathetic father and a still more unkind aunt later his stepmother seraphie gagnon he seemed predestined to be misunderstood even his school companions finding him odd and often amusing themselves at his expense thus he grew up with a sense of isolation in his own home and when in eighteen hundred he had the opportunity of going to some distant relatives in paris the daru family he seized it eagerly the following year he accompanied the younger darus to italy and was present at the battle of marengo this was the turning-point of stendhal's career he was dazzled by napoleon's successes and fascinated with the beauty and gaiety of milan where he found himself for the first time in a congenial atmosphere and among companions animated by a common cause his consequent sense of freedom and exaltation knew no bounds henceforth napoleon was to be his hero and italy the land of his election two lifelong passions which furnish the clue to much that is enigmatic in his character during the ensuing years while he followed the fortunes of napoleon throughout the prussian campaign and until after the retreat from moscow italy was always present in his thoughts and when waterloo ended his political and military aspirations he hastened back to milan declaring that he had ceased to be a frenchman and settled down to a life of tranquil bohemianism too absorbed in the paintings of correggio and in the operas of rossini to be provident of the future the following years the happiest of his life were also the period of stendhal's chief intellectual growth due quite as much to the influence exerted on him by italian art and music as by his contact with men like manzoni monti and silvio pellico 
unfortunately his relations with certain italian patriots aroused the suspicions of the austrian police and he was abruptly banished he returned to paris where to his surprise life proved more than tolerable and where he made many valuable acquaintances such as benjamin constant destute de tracy and prosper merimee the revolution of july brought him a change of fortune for he was in sympathy with louis philippe and did not scruple to accept the consulship offered him at civita vecchia he soon found however that a small mediterranean seaport was a poor substitute for his beloved milan while its trying climate undoubtedly shortened his life in eighteen forty one failing health forced him to abandon his duties and return to paris where he died of apoplexy on march twenty third eighteen forty two so much at least of stendhal's life must be known in order to understand his writings all of which not excepting the novels belong to what ferdinand brunetiere stigmatizes as personal literature indeed the chief interest of many of his books lies in the sidelights they throw upon his curious personality he was a man of violent contrasts a puzzle to his best friends one day making the retreat from moscow with undaunted zeal the next settling down contentedly in milan to the very vie de cafe he affected to despise he was a strange combination of restless energy and philosophic contemplation hampered by a morbid sensibility which tended to increase but which he flattered himself that he had learned to hide under an irony imperceptible to the vulgar yet continually giving offence to others by his caustic tongue he seemed to need the tonic of strong emotions and was happiest when devoting himself heart and soul to some person or cause whether a napoleon a mistress or a question of philosophy his great preoccupation was the analysis of the human mind an employment which in later years became a positive detriment he was often led to attribute ulterior motives to his friends a course which only served to render him morbid and unjust while his equally pitiless dissection of his own sensations often robbed them of half their charm even love and war his favorite emotions left him disillusioned asking is that all it amounts to he always had a profound respect for force of character regarding even lawlessness as preferable to apathy but he was implacable towards baseness or vulgarity herein lies perhaps the chief reason for stendhal's ill success in life he would never stoop to obsequiousness or flattery and in avoiding even the semblance of self-interest allowed his fairest chances to pass him by i have little regret for my lost opportunities he wrote in eighteen thirty five in place of ten thousand i might be getting twenty in place of chevalier i might be officer of the legion of honor but i should have had to think three or four hours a day of those platitudes of ambition which are dignified by the name of politics i should have had to commit many base acts a brief but admirable epitome of stendhal's whole life and character aside from his works of fiction stendhal's works may be conveniently grouped under biographies 
wie de haydn de mozart et de metastase wie de napoleon wie de rossini literary and artistic criticism histoire de la peinture en italie racine et shakespeare mélange d'art et de littérature travels rome naples et florence promenade dans rome mémoire d'un touriste and one volume of sentimental psychology his essay sur l'amour to which bourget owes the suggestion of his physiologie de l'amour moderne many of these works merit greater popularity being written in an easy fluent style and relieved by his inexhaustible fund of anecdote and personal reminiscence his books of travel especially are charming causerie full of a sympathetic spontaneity which more than atones for their lack of method his walks in rome is more readable than two-thirds of the books since written on that subject stendhal's present vogue however is due primarily to his novels to which he owes the almost literal fulfilment of his prophecy that he would not be appreciated until eighteen eighty before that date they had been comparatively neglected in spite of balzac's spontaneous and enthusiastic tribute to the chartreuse de parme and the appreciative criticisms of ten and prosper merimee the truth is that stendhal was in some ways a generation behind his time and often has an odd old-fashioned flavor suggestive of marivaux and crebillon fils on the other hand his psychologic tendency is distinctly modern and not at all to the taste of an age which found chateaubriand or madame de stal eminently satisfactory but he appeals strongly to the speculating self-questioning spirit of the present day and zola and bourget in turn have been glad to claim kinship with him stendhal however cannot be summarily labelled and dismissed as a realist or psychologue in the modern acceptation of the term although he was a pioneer in both fields he had a sovereign contempt for literary style or method and little dreamed that he would one day be regarded as the founder of a school it must be remembered that he was a soldier before he was a man of letters and his love of adventure occasionally got the better of his love of logic making his novels a curious mixture of convincing truth and wild romanticism his heroes are singularly like himself a mixture of morbid introspection and restless energy he seems to have taken special pleasure in making them succeed where he had failed in life and when the spirit of the storyteller gets the better of the psychologist he sends them on a career of adventure which puts to shame dumas pere or walter scott and yet stendhal was a born analyst a self-styled observer of the human heart and the real merit of his novels lies in the marvellous fidelity with which he interprets the emotions showing the inner workings of his hero's mind from day to day and multiplying petty details with convincing logic but in his preoccupation for mental conditions he is apt to lose sight of the material side of life and the symmetry of his novels is marred by a meagreness of physical detail and a lack of atmosphere zola has laid his finger upon stendhal's real weakness when he points out that the landscape the climate the time of day the weather nature herself in other words never seems to intervene and exert an influence on his characters 
and he cites a passage which in point of fact admirably illustrates his meaning the scene from the rouge et noir where julien endeavors to take the hand of madame de renal which he characterizes as a little mute drama of great power adding in conclusion give that episode to an author for whom the milieu exists and he will make the night with its odors its voices its soft voluptuousness play a part in the defeat of the woman and that author will be in the right his picture will be more complete it is this tendency to leave nature out of consideration which gives stendhal's characters a flavor of abstraction and caused Saint-Beuve to declare in disgust that they were not human beings, but ingeniously constructed automatons. Yet it is unfair to conclude with Zola that Stendhal was a man for whom the outside world did not exist. He was not insensible to the beauties of nature, only he looked upon them as a secondary consideration. After a sympathetic description of the Rhone Valley, he had to add but the interest of a landscape is insufficient in the long run some moral or historical interest is indispensable yet he recognized explicitly the influence of climate and environment upon character and seems to have been sensible of his own shortcomings as an author i abhor material descriptions he confesses in souvenir d'egotisme the ennui of making them deters me from writing novels nevertheless aside from his short chronique and nouvelle and the posthumous lamiel which he probably intended to destroy stendhal has left four stories which deserve detailed consideration armance le rouge et le noir la chartreuse de parme and the fragmentary novel lucien lewin as has been justly pointed out by stendhal's sympathetic biographer edouard Rowe, the heroes of the four books are essentially of one type and all more or less faithful copies of himself having in common a need of activity a thirst for love a keen sensibility and an unbounded admiration for napoleon and differing only by reason of the several milieux in which he has placed them the first of these armance appeared in eighteen twenty seven the hero octave is an aristocrat son of the marquis de malivert who was very rich before the revolution and when he returned to paris in eighteen fourteen thought himself beggared on an income of twenty or thirty thousand octave is the most exaggerated of all stendhal's heroes a mysterious sombre being a misanthrope before his time coupling with his pride of birth a consciousness of its vanity had heaven made me the son of a manufacturer of cloth i should have worked at my desk from the age of sixteen while now my sole occupation has been luxury i should have had less pride and more happiness ah how i despise myself yet it is part of octave's pretensions to regard himself as superior to love when he discovers his passion for his cousin armance he is overwhelmed with despair i am in love he said in a choked voice i in love great god the object of this reluctant passion armance de sohilaf is a poor orphan dependent upon a rich relative like octave she struggles against her affection but for better reasons the world will look upon me as a lady's maid who has entrapped the son of the family 
the history of their long and secret struggle against this growing passion complicated by outside incidents and intrigues forms the bulk of the volume at last octave is wounded in a duel and moved by the belief that he is dying they mutually confess their affection octave unexpectedly recovers and as armand's about this time receives an inheritance from a distant relative the story promises to end happily but at the last moment he is induced to credit a calumny against her and commits suicide when armance retires to a convent the book is distinctly inferior to his later efforts and m rouault is the first to find hidden beauties in it very different was his next book le rouge et le noir the army and the priesthood which appeared in eighteen thirty and is now recognized as stendhal's masterpiece as its singular name is intended to imply it deals with the changed social conditions which confronted the young men of france after the downfall of napoleon the reaction against war and military glory in favor of the church a topic which greatly occupied stendhal and which is well summed up in the words of his hero julien when bonaparte made himself talked about france was afraid of invasion military merit was necessary and fashionable to-day one sees priests of forty with appointments of a hundred thousand francs three times that of napoleon's famous generals and he concludes the thing to do is to be a priest this julien sorel is the son of a shrewd but ignorant peasant owner of a prosperous sawmill in the small town of verrieres in franche-comte he was a small young man of feeble appearance with irregular but delicate features and an aquiline nose who could have divined that that girlish face so pale and gentle hid an indomitable resolution to expose himself to a thousand deaths sooner than not make his fortune his only schooling is gained from a cousin an old army surgeon who taught him latin and inflamed his fancy with stories of napoleon and from the aged abbe chelan who grounds him in theology for julien had proclaimed his intention of studying for the priesthood by unexpected good luck his latin earned him an appointment as tutor to the children of monsieur de Renal, the pompous and purse-proud mayor of verrieres julien is haunted by his peculiar notions of duties which he owes it to himself to perform as steps towards his worldly advancement for circumstances have made him a consummate hypocrite one of these duties is to make love to madame de renal why should he not be loved as bonaparte while still poor had been loved by the brilliant madame de beauharnais his pursuit of the mayor's gentle and inexperienced wife proves only too successful but at last reaches the ears of the abbe chelan whose influence compels julien to leave verrieres and go to the seminary at besancon to finish his theological studies his stay at the seminary was full of disappointment for it was in vain that he made himself small and insignificant he could not please he was too different at last he has a chance to go to paris as secretary to the influential marquis de la mole who interests himself in julien and endeavors to advance him socially the marquis has a daughter mathilde a female counterpart of stendhal's heroes with exalted ideas of duty and a profound reverence for marguerite of navarre who dared to ask the executioner for the head of her lover 
boniface de la mole executed april thirtieth fifteen seventy four mathilde always assumed mourning on april thirtieth i know of nothing she declared except condemnation to death which distinguishes a man it is the only thing which cannot be bought julien soon conceives it his duty to win mathilde's affections and the love passages which ensue between these two esprits supérieurs are singular in the extreme they arrive at love only through a complicated intellectual process in which the question of duty either to themselves or to each other is always paramount at last it becomes necessary to confess their affection to the marquis who is naturally furious for the first time in his life this nobleman forgot his manners he overwhelmed him with atrocious insults worthy of a cab-driver perhaps the novelty of these oaths was a distraction what hurts him most is that mathilde will be plain madame sorel and not a duchess but at this juncture the father receives a letter from madame de renal telling of her relations with julien and accusing him of having deliberately won mathilde in order to possess her wealth such baseness the marquis cannot pardon and at any cost he forbids the marriage julien returns immediately to verrieres and finding madame de renal in church deliberately shoots her she ultimately recovers from her wound but julien is nevertheless condemned and guillotined madame de renal dies of remorse while mathilde emulating marguerite de navarre buries julien's head with her own hands the chartreuse de parme although written the same year as the rouge et noir was not published until eighteen thirty nine two years before his death and was judged his best effort he has written the modern prince declared balzac the book which machiavelli would have written if he had been living exiled from italy in the nineteenth century the action takes place at parma and as a picture of court life in a small italian principality with all its jealousies and intrigues the book is certainly a masterpiece but it is marred by the extravagance of its plot the hero fabrice is the younger son of a proud and bigoted milanese nobleman the marquis del dongo who joined a sordid avarice to a host of other fine qualities and in his devotion to the house of austria was implacable towards napoleon fabrice however was a young man susceptible of enthusiasm and on learning of napoleon's return from elba hastened secretly to join him and participated in the battle of waterloo this escapade is denounced by his father to the austrian police and on his return fabrice is forced to take refuge in swiss territory about this time his aunt gina the beautiful countess pietronera goes to live at parma and to conceal a love affair with the prime minister mosca marries the old duke of san severina taxis who obligingly leaves on his wedding day for a distant embassy gina has always felt a strong interest for fabrice which later ripens into a passion it is agreed that fabrice shall study for the priesthood and that count mosca will use his influence to have him made archbishop of parma an office frequently held in the past by del dongos unfortunately fabrice is drawn into a quarrel with a certain giletti a low comedy actor whom he kills in self-defence 
ordinarily the killing of a fellow of giletti's stamp by a del dongo would have been considered a trifling matter but this offence assumes importance through the efforts of a certain political faction to discredit the minister through his protege the situation is further complicated by the prince ernest the fourth who has come under the spell of gina's beauty and furious at finding her obdurate is glad of an opportunity to humiliate her fabrice is condemned to ten years imprisonment in the farnese tower the prince treacherously disregarding his promise of pardon from this point the plot becomes fantastic from his window in the tower fabrice overlooks that of clelia daughter of general fabio conti governor of the prison it is a case of mutual love at first sight and for months the two hold communication by signs above the heads of the passing sentries after his fabulous escape effected by the help of his aunt fabrice is inconsolable and at length returns voluntarily to the tower in order to be near clelia it is not until after the death of the prince that the duchess obtains fabrice's pardon from his son and successor at last clelia dies and fabrice enters the neighboring monastery the chartreuse of parma fabrice's experiences on the battlefield of waterloo where as a raw youth he first smelled powder are recounted with a good deal of realistic detail they suggest a comparison with a book of more recent date devoted to a similar subject stephen crane's red badge of courage though of course the latter does not approach stendhal in artistic self-restraint and mastery over form the remaining novel lucien lewen was left in an unfinished state and thus published after the author's death under the title of le chasseur vert recently they have been republished under the name of lucien lewen with additional material which the editor m jean de mitty claims to have deciphered from almost illegible manuscripts found in the library at grenoble but even without these additions there is enough to show that lucien lewen would have been one of his best efforts second only perhaps to the rouge et noir the hero lucien is the son of a rich financier who was never out of temper and never took a serious tone with his son but cheerfully paid his debts saying a son is a creditor provided by nature out of mere ennui from lack of serious employment lucien enters as sub-lieutenant a regiment of lancers in garrison at nancy he has no illusions about military life in times of peace i shall wage war only upon cigars i shall become the pillager of a military cafe in the gloomy garrison of an ill-paved little town what glory my soul will be well caught when i present myself to napoleon in the next world no doubt he will say you were dying of hunger when you took up this life no general i shall reply i thought i was imitating you his early experiences at nancy his subsequent meeting with and love for madame de chastelet are admirable equally for their moderation and their fidelity since stendhalism has become a cult so much has been written on the subject that a complete bibliography of stendhaliana would occupy several pages aside from the well-known criticisms of balzac ten and saint beuve the most important contributions to the subject are the article by zola in romancier naturaliste that by bourget in essai de psychologie contemporaine 
and the biography by Edouard Rowe in the Grands Écrivains Français, Great French Writers series. Thanks to the zeal of Monsieur Casimir Stryensky, a considerable amount of autobiographical material has lately been brought to light. Journal de Stendhal, Vie de Henri Brulard, and Souvenir d'Egotisme, which together with his correspondence are indispensable for a true knowledge of the man. End of section forty six.